I'm Katie, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you and your family are here, and we would love to get connected with you. One easy way you can do that is text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website, therivertrch.cc, to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you got a Bible, let's grab those together and open them up to the Gospel of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter number 6. Great to see you today. If you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you. You can uh, pull out your smartphone and you can download a, a Bible app or the River Church app, and there's a Bible feature on there. But want to be encouraging you to see the Word of God uh, for yourself and uh, follow along. Uh, just uh, great to be together. Matthew chapter number six, we have been uh, looking through the Sermon on the Mount, particularly chapter six, over the last few weeks. and. Uh, we've been spending some time uh, in prayer, and uh, last week we started the first part of the Lord's Prayer. This week we're going we're gonna to kind of mess with things a little bit. I'm sorry about this. We're going to hit verses 11 and 13, and then next week we'll look at verses 12, 14, and 15. So kind of the Sermon on the Mount for the next, or excuse me, the Lord's Prayer for the next couple weeks. But I want to just to start... Um, by saying the Lord's Prayer again and, and praying it together. And so we're going to put it on the screen for you. This is in the new uh, King James uh, Version of the Bible. Why don't we stand together and we'll uh, pray and, and say the Lord's Prayer together. And I just want to give you a moment before we do that just to look at it. Um, maybe you grew up like I did saying it in the King James Version of the Bible. So there's a lot of these and thous and uh, words that we don't often use really in our common uh, conversation. And there's nothing wrong with these and thous. But um, here we see it's, a, it's a more common verbiage. And so for you, maybe it doesn't, it's, it's not the way you memorized it. So you have to think about it and ponder it a little more. But uh, let's just take a moment and see that together. And then we'll uh, pray it together out loud. Let's pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Grab a seat. The first part of the Lord's Prayer we see in verse 9 and 10 really aligns the human heart to the Heavenly Father. It is Father-focused. And so we see that it is about his name, it is about his kingdom, and it is about his will. And that is how our prayer and our hearts are to begin with, with who the Lord is and with his kingdom and his will for our life. The second part of the prayer is where we recognize, acknowledge, and identify our Heavenly Father as our source. And I want to say this very clearly, not a source, but the one and only source, the source for our physical needs, the source for forgiveness and the power to forgive, the source of direction and our victory over sin. It's quite startling to me when you see in verses 9 and 10, these really big theological important things, our Father in heaven, and then the word hallowed be your name, revered is your name, holy is your name. It's this idea that we're exalting Christ with our life. 
Here's in verse 10, your kingdom comes. So this expansive idea of God being king, his kingdom coming, his will being done in the same way on earth as it is in heaven. Then in verse 11, the prayer continues as the Lord is teaching us to pray. Jesus says, pray like this, give us this day our daily bread. Now, because of the big ideas in those first couple of verses of God's kingdom, of, of heaven, of God as Father, uh, of the holiness of God, some have tried to take this verse and, and make it mean it's, it's about communion. It's about taking the bread of communion, or it is kind of an end times heavenly bread type thing. But really what I believe Jesus is talking about here is what we see again in verse number nine. Our Father cares about his kingdom. Our father cares about the holiness of his name being exalted. Our father has a will. Our father is in heaven, but our heavenly father is not so removed, so disconnected that he does not know about and care about your daily needs. I want you to think about that. Because sometimes we picture God as so distant, so big, so holy, so powerful, and we think, okay, we, we imagine him as, you know, kind of this, this CEO at, at, at the top of the building, he, he, he's, he's, his, his office, it'd be hard to get there, you have to go through 15 different assistants and, and appointments and all these different things, and so we envision God like that, so removed from our common circumstances. But the prayer here is simply going to our Heavenly Father and saying, God, today I have needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Commentator D.A. Carson says this, the word translated daily occurs very rarely in Greek. So originally the New Testament written in Greek Carson continues, says, in fact, it is found with 100% certainty only in this prayer. Most likely it appears also in one little papyrus thing where it was broken off halfway through the word. It seems to be an adjective meaning of the day that is coming. If in the morning we ask for our food for the day that is coming, we mean today's food. If we ask at night, we mean tomorrow's. So the prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. Rewinding the clock to the context of when Jesus is speaking this, it was a very uh, farm uh, agrarian culture where if a crop failed, you and your family could starve. You and your family could be sold into slavery or you'd have to sell yourself into slavery to be able to pay bills or survive or be able to eat. So... There, there weren't grocery stores. There, there, there wasn't that type of infrastructure that existed in the world. So these folks woke up and often they would wonder where their next meal was coming from. Now, you and I might wonder what our next meal might be, but for most of us, we're not wondering the source of or worried about or filled with anxiety over the ability to actually pay for or feed ourselves and our family the next meal. Imagine waking up, the cupboards are bare. Now, if you're like me, when my wife and I say we have nothing to eat in the house, that means we're not going to thaw something out of the 17 freezers we have. Uh, We don't want to eat any of the leftovers in the fridge. None of the canned goods are appealing. There's nothing that I want to put together. So when I say there's nothing to eat in the house, that's code for there's nothing in this house that I particularly want to eat at this moment. In my life, it's never been, hey, there's nothing to eat in the house. But imagine waking up this morning... And the cupboards, the pantry, the refrigerator truly being bare. That's what this prayer is meant. This prayer is meant to stir in the human heart a complete daily dependence on the Lord providing. Now, because we're so blessed, 
We often don't need that from a food standpoint. We don't go to bed saying, Lord, I don't know what we're going to eat tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to be able to feed my kids tomorrow. I need you to come through. We, we don't go to bed with that anxiety. But that's not to say this passage doesn't mean anything to us. We can wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm facing a difficult day. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Lord, I'm going to bed tonight knowing that there are a whole slew of problems waiting for me the next morning, whether it's in my job or whether it's at school or whether it's in family or relationships or, or, or medical challenges. What the scripture is teaching us here is when we can go to our heavenly father and say, Father, you are in heaven and your name is hallowed and you have a great kingdom, but you're not so big and awesome and powerful that you are so distant and uncaring about my daily needs. God, you care whether I have bread today. That matters to our heavenly father. I want you to hold your spot in Matthew 6 and go back into the Old Testament to the book of Exodus. And I want to show you a little bit where this concept of our daily bread comes from. Exodus chapter number 16. While you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of context very quickly. The children of Israel, the people of God, have left Egypt. They are on their way from Egypt. They are in the wilderness at this point, And they are traveling to Mount Sinai. There at Mount Sinai, they'll get the Ten Commandments and the instructions for the tabernacle, which will become the temple. So all that stuff is happening there. So this is right before that. And the Bible says the, the people, the congregation, begin to grumble because they're hungry. They're in the wilderness. So I want to read this, and I want you to see it's beautiful what the Lord does here. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. Walk in my law or not, God is saying, whether they will trust me. So I'm about to do something, Moses. The people are whining. You're a little nervous as a leader. I am literally going to rain bread from heaven. Verse 5. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Now let's just pause here. This is a really convicting passage if you're a grumbler, if you're a whiner, if you're constantly complaining, oh, I wish we had that. Oh, look at what they got. That'd be nice if we had that. This covetous, ungrateful spirit goes, just breeds in us a grumbling, complaining heart. And what the Bible is saying here, that's not against your husband or against your wife or against your boss or against the church or against some, you know, the government or whatever it might be. When you and I are not content what the Lord has blessed us with, that grumbling is, is against God. You're grumbling and complaining about your house or your car or your spouse or your kids or your job or whatever it might be. That grumbling is, is against the Lord Almighty. So Moses says, listen, you're complaining against us. I just want you to know we filed that complaint with the Lord. We're getting out of the middle of this. The Lord's going to prove that he did this. Verse 9. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. That's terrifying. I won't pause there for time's sake. Verse 10. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in, in the cloud. 
And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. When the dew was gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost. I wish that said frosting, but it says frost. Fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they, they said to one another, what is it that literally is translated manna? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. The people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. When they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Moses said to them, let no one eat any of it. uh, Excuse me. Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. So here's the passage. It's fascinating to me. God says, all right, you're complaining. I know you need to eat. I'm not unaware that you're hungry, and I'm not unaware that you have a physical need to eat. I created you with that, that need. So God says, at night, I'm going to give you meat, but in the morning, you're going to wake up and there's going to be bread, this thing called manna, which is literally translated into Hebrew. What is it? All over the ground. And you go out and however many people live in your house, live in your tent, you gather that much and I'll provide for your daily needs. But here's the thing. You're not going to be able to be a hoarder. You're not going to be able to stock the fridge. You're not going to be able to fill the pantry. You're not going to be able to go out and get tons of it and be like, I'm set for a month. Because what's going to happen is God has made it so that manna will rot. It will have worms and it will stink up your house if you try to hoard it. So what did God do? God said, I'm going to prove that I care about you. I'm going to prove that I'm trustworthy and I'm going to put you to the test. What's the test? The test is every morning, I'm going to make sure there's bread there for you and you're going to go out and you're going to get only what you need for that day and your cupboards are going to be bare and you're going to trust that the Lord is going to show up the next day. And guess what? For 40 years, God did that. 40 years. The point of it was not God saying, eat as much as you want. God was saying, I want you to wake up every day knowing that I'm trustworthy, knowing that you can depend on me. Because we live such a blessed life, what happens to us in crisis, we go to God. We go to God and say, God, I'm hungry. Now, it may not be hunger, but God... We're not going to make the bills this week. We're not going to make the bills this month. God, we're falling behind on this medical. God, we're in deep trouble. And God shows up in a miraculous way. So what do we do? We race out. We collect as much as we can. Thank you, God. I'll see you when this runs out. And then the bank account goes down to a number that we're not comfortable with. And where do we find ourselves? Back praying. Oh, Lord. I know it's been a while. Do you remember that last crisis? You bailed me out. Now, please hear me. There's nothing wrong with praying to the Lord in crisis. We should. We should go to the Lord with our care. But often what happens is is we hoard the manna that God has blessed us with, and then we neglect the giver. The gift becomes what we depend on and not the giver of the gift. So go back to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter number 6. Jesus is saying, pray like this. You have a father. He's in heaven. His name is holy. You want his kingdom and his will to be done. So pray this way. Give us this day 
You're praying it in the morning. Today, Lord, give us what we need for the day. You're praying it at night. God, give us for tomorrow what we need tomorrow. It's an act of faith. It's an act of saying, God, I trust you to provide because you love me. Because you are my good, gracious, heavenly father. You can write this down in your notes, but Proverbs chapter number 30, verse 8. You don't have to turn there, but this is one of my favorite Proverbs uh, in the book of Proverbs. It says this, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. I'll give you one more. It's not in my notes, but you can flip over to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter number four. The writer of the Proverbs says, God, just give me what I need. If you give me too much, I'll forget about you. God, if you give me too much, I'll take credit for what I have. God, if you give me too much, I'll be proud, I'll be boastful, I'll be puffed up, and I'll be like, look at me, aren't I awesome? And I'll forget you, God, so don't, don't get, I, I can't be trusted with that. But God, don't, don't put me into poverty because I'll steal. I'll, I'll turn to a life of crime. I'll profane your name. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. Philippians chapter number four says in verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty. I want you to see that. Paul says, I've been in a state in my life where I had lots of things, and there was a secret to that. There was a secret to facing plenty. Now, as a general rule, we are an incredibly blessed society. Some of you in here, though, financially resource-wise, you have plenty. And there is a secret to learning how to navigate through that so that you don't forget the Lord. Paul's saying, I had to learn the secret of facing plenty, but I also had to learn the secret of facing hunger. I had to learn the secret of facing abundance, and I had to learn the secret of facing need. Now, I just want to help you. Look at verse 13. This is one of those verses that's incredibly taken out of context in the scripture. That is the context of what Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What does it mean? I can face plenty. I can face hunger. I can face abundance. I can face need. Here's why. Because this is kind of Paul's, if you will, commentary on Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. You go back there. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, if it's a small loaf, awesome. If it's 10 loaves of bread, great. If it's lots of money, if it's little money, I know that, that you are assigning that. That that's not arbitrary. That that's not accidental. Because God, if you give me too much, I'll forget about you. If you give me too little, I'll steal and profane your name. So Lord, just give me what I need because I'm a wreck. Now look at the prayer, Matthew chapter number six, verse 11. It says, give us. Kent Hughes, one of my favorite commentators, points out the command is to pray, give us, not Give me. When I read that, it had to settle into my mind a little bit. Because how many of our prayers are, Lord, give me? There is a communal aspect to this prayer. Hold your spot in Matthew. Go to the right and go to the book of James. James chapter number 2. We'll show you a couple things in James real quick. James chapter number 2. 
I've mentioned this in the past. I'll do it again. Anytime you're reading Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, read the book of James with it. James is a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. So those, those help. There's like dozens and dozens of connections there. So if you don't understand James, read the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't understand the Sermon on the Mount, read James. James chapter number 4 and verse 14. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Here's the image. You see someone, particularly, this is in the context of the church, the people of God, you see someone has a need, and you say, hey man, I will be praying for you. James says, what good is that? Not that prayer is not helpful, but if you have the ability to meet their need, why are you praying about it? I don't want to be sacrilegious or ridiculous here, James is essentially implying there's nothing to pray about. That's why the prayer is give us our daily bread, meaning there are people sitting in this room that have a a physical need, a financial need, a, a need in their life, and God has blessed you or you or someone else in this room with the ability, with extra. But here's what we do with our extra. We go, I'm awesome. Look at what I have achieved. We look at blessings as an achievement rather than something that we have received. James chapter 1, verse number 17. We'll look at verse 16 because I think this is a great setup. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect Every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Meaning, you and I have not achieved, we have received. You didn't achieve success, you received the blessing from the Lord. Whether that's your mental capacity, whether that's your workability, whether that's the actual skill of your hands or your mind that you have... That is a, that's a gift that we've received from the Lord. The problem in our mind is we think, well, I did this. And in our American Western mindset, we are so individualistic that look at what I achieved. If you would have worked harder, then you would have achieved what I've achieved. And when that mentality is in the church, I just want to say this very clearly, that's disgusting to God. Everything you and I have down to the very breath in our lungs at this moment is a gift from our Heavenly Father. We didn't achieve that. We received that. And that goes from the breath in our lungs to everything we have. So when we see a fellow believer, let's just stick with believers for now, believer in need, we're like, hey man, that's a really rough situation. God bless you. And we take our extra and we go home. We are missing the point of the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. God might give you extra daily bread because the person over here needs that extra. This is why knowing And being in genuine community in the church is absolutely essential. This is why being humble about what we have received and, hear me, what we need is important. Someone who has a bunch needs to stay humble because you and I didn't achieve that. Someone who's in need needs to be humble because um, that's a... That's a spot that God brings us to where it's very humbling to say, I need help. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, 
Why do you boast as if you did not receive it? The illustration that came to my mind, and I don't want to spend long on this, just made me laugh. I remember I was like 16 years old and I borrowed this guy's truck. And it was when uh, Dodge Ram first came out, like the super awesome model. Now it looks like an antique, but when I was 16 years old, it was like the coolest truck. I'm playing it. I remember borrowing it, driving it down the road like I was the coolest person in the world. It was not my truck. It wasn't mine. Now here's the fact. Everything you have isn't yours. You say, yeah, it's the banks, right? No, I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> Everything you have belongs to the Lord. It's his. So it's laughable in the same way it was when I was 16 years old. It's laughable for us now to boast about what we have. So that's why Paul says, why do you act like you didn't receive it? You brag about what you've been entrusted with the Lord. To put another word on it, it's all borrowed anyways. Your health. You boast about your health, it's a gift from the Lord. You boast about your money or your house or your family or your kids. Look at how good my kids are doing. Aren't they awesome? And in your mind, you might be going, man, we did a good job. If you're like me, you're like, man, my wife did a good job, right? But we boast about those things rather than saying, this is what God did. God, the Lord did this. I, I can't brag about something I didn't even do. So what's the Lord's prayer? back to Matthew 6. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. The things that we need for today, Lord, we're trusting you to provide for that. We're trusting you to meet that need. Verse 12. Still speaking to the Father, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We're going to pause on that one and we're going to come back to it uh, next week. We're going to deal with forgiveness next week. So if you're a grudge holder, skip next week, okay? <laughs> if you got ought against somebody or you got strife, next week's going to be a punch in the head. So. You've been warned, okay? Verse 13. To the Father, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hold your spot in Matthew 6, and just go back to Matthew chapter number 4. Maybe just a page or two to the left. Matthew chapter 4 is as the ministry of Jesus is beginning. He's been baptized by John, John the baptizer, John the Baptist. And immediately after that, verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, so by the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So it was by divine design that the Son of God was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we see those temptations there. We, we know how to combat temptation because the Lord Jesus shows us that. We understand that when we pray to God, He knows, uh, the, the, Son, the, the Son of God knows what it's like to be tempted in the way that we are, yet he was without sin. Leave there and go to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. The prayer is, Father, provide for me what I need today. At night, Lord, provide for me what I need tomorrow. Lord, forgive me as I'm forgiving others. 
And Lord, as you're leading me in life, lead me not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 11. Paul says, now these things, there's a whole bunch of uh, stories from the Old Testament that happened there. So um, these things, the scripture says, happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So the Old Testament stories, they're written down. They're an example for us, both positive and negative. They're written down to be instructive to us. Verse 12, therefore, because of those stories, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So the Lord's Prayer is incredibly humbling, and one of the ways that it's incredibly humbling is it brings us to the spot where we say to the Lord, Lord, my heart, my flesh, longs for sinful things. And God, please keep me from temptation because I do not want to ruin my life. I do not want to hurt my kids. I don't want to hurt my spouse. I don't want to do those things again, God. So please, as I wake up today, please keep me from temptation. Verse 12 there, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul warns, don't let anybody think that he's, he's stand, that you're secure, that you're firm, that, that you're impenetrable, that you're, you're just, you're immune to those things. At no point are you inoculated, immune to sin. Maybe it's been years and you say, man, I've been clean for years or I haven't done that in years or that hasn't been a part of my life for years. You need to understand that that is only by the almighty mercy and grace of God. You're never in a spot where you're safe from sin. And so we're always on alert. And one of the ways we are alert is in our prayer to the Lord. Lord, lead me not into temptation. I am not cocky, Lord, saying, I'm firm, I'm good, I don't need your help today. Because the Bible says, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. That's the moment. That's what Proverbs says. Pride comes before destruction. The moment we think we're secure, the moment we think that our marriage cannot be broken or or that we're not going to go back into that addiction or that problem, that's the moment where we are primed for disaster. I mean, how many older men are going to be like, no, that isn't a part of my life anymore, and then they just burn their life down? How many folks are going to say, oh, that, that was a part of my life in the past. That's not anymore. I'm good. That won't come back. Pride comes before destruction. A haughty spirit, an arrogant spirit comes before a fall. And man, I don't want to see you fall. And so we pray, Father, don't lead us, not just me, but my friends, my family, my church, lead us not into temptation. Look at Paul continuing, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 into 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Meaning you're not the only one who's faced that temptation. Satan will say that. Satan will lie. But you're, you're not alone in that temptation. There are other people who are facing that temptation. Other people who have defeated that temptation. Here's what it comes down to. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So this is a beautiful promise, and I need you to see this. With every temptation, God is faithful, and he will give you and I a way of escape. He'll provide an off-ramp. Be times where I have sinned and, and the deception in my own heart will be, I, there, I just couldn't stop. 
I couldn't escape it. And, and then we start, in our culture, we start to make excuses like, that's my identity, that's just who I am, that's my genetics, that's the way I was raised. And we just start to make all those different things, and God's saying, no, you will be tempted. And sometimes it's by divine design that you're going to face a, a unique temptation, uh, you're, you're going to face a temptation, but it's not unique to you. There are other brothers and sisters who have faced that temptation. God is faithful, and here's what he will do every time. Temptation is coming, you're being attacked, you're being challenged. God says, I will always provide an exit door. I'll always provide an off-ramp. I'll always provide a way of escape. So Jen and I, when we pray this, I will pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation. I remember when this first started to become a rhythm in my prayer life, I didn't want to pray it. And the reason I didn't want to pray it is because I knew it was humbling me. I knew it was saying to God, God, I can't do this. And I don't like being a can't do this person. And so it was like, lead us not into temptation. Seriously, you're like, Pastor, that's a, you're kind of a bad Christian. Yes. But I remember struggling to pray that. Now, by the grace of God, it's become a, a rhythm in my life. And we, we pray, Lord, lead us not into te- temptation. The second part of the prayer is, but deliver us from evil. And so how we pray that is, Lord, lead us not into temptation. But if temptation is your will then help us to see the way of escape and to take it. Like the Lord has promised, I'll provide a way of escape. Lord, sometimes I am stupid. Help me to see that way of escape and to take that instead of just running headlong into sin and being like, I I couldn't stop. Let's go back to Matthew 6. We go to the Father, and we say, Father, please provide for me what I need today, our daily bread. Verse 13, Father, lead us not into temptation. I just want to make a note of this, and I'm running out of time. Um, Sometimes we want to be tempted. We don't want the destruction of sin, but we want the excitement of temptation, And so the humbling prayer is to go to God and say, God, please don't allow me to be tempted because I'll, um, I'll burn it all down. Keep me from it, Lord. So the prayer is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or the way the New King James translates it, the evil one. You have an enemy of your soul. Paul gives us a glimpse into that, and I'll just read it to you real quick. In Galatians chapter number 6, he says, Finally, verse 10, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, the tricks of the devil. The King James has translated the word wiles of the devil, the tactics of the devil. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In some ways, that ought to take your breath away. That there is a well-staffed, well-organized, well-fueled dark army that wants to destroy your life. And it is not flesh and blood. It is a spiritual battle. Multiple times in the passage there, Paul will say, I want you to stand. In verse 13, having done all to stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore. I want want you to be able to take a stand against that. The wild part about it, and this makes me laugh as a guy, I don't know how it affects ladies, but the idea of standing sometimes is running. Paul says to Timothy, flee youthful lust. Joseph is in the moment where Potiphar's wife, it's just the pressure is too much, so what does he do? He runs away. 
This is not sometimes standing in the face of temptation like, I can take it, I'm a man. Sometimes it, it's, uh, yeah, I, I need to run away. Sometimes it's, I, hey guys, I can't go there anymore. Were you, were you a loser? Yeah, maybe, I guess, I don't know, I just can't go there anymore. I'm not, I'm not going into places of temptation because there is an army of evil And so what is our prayer? Our prayer is humble. God, keep me from temptation. If temptation's your will, Lord, help me to see the way of escape because you've paved the way. You've set the example. Deliver me from the evil one. Because sometimes temptation is God's will for us. Not sin, but temptation. And his will is to build up our spiritual strength. James says it in James chapter number one. You don't have to turn there. But James says it this way, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So that that trial against it, that, that testing against you that the Lord brings, builds up your spiritual strength your spiritual grit, your spiritual tenacity. So, so don't take that and go, I'm going to start praying for temptation. Don't do that. Just go, Lord, please keep me from temptation, but I know you love me. I know that you care for me. And sometimes temptation is going to be part of your will. And in that moment, Lord, I do not want to fail you. In that moment, Lord, I love the song. I quote it all the time. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. I am prone to wander. I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So, Lord, in those moments of of testing, in those moments of trials, in those moments of temptation, please just take my heart because I'm not confident in myself that I won't fall. And we pray that for each other. Look at Matthew 6 not lead me but lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil I'm convinced it all goes back to verse number 9 the word father father God you are the source God, you are what I need. And so, Lord, I I need your provision in my life because I have physical needs. We'll talk about forgiveness next week. Lord, I have temptations in my life. Please keep them from me. And when they come, deliver me from evil. It is going to the source The gospel message is all about the source. It is about what God has done for you. That's the good news. The good news is not, hey, fight temptation, everybody. We got a class on Wednesdays. Uh, We have all these little tactics. We're going to teach you how to fight temptation. No, it is all father-focused. And maybe you're a believer in here, you're a follower of Jesus, but you've been trying to do it on your own. And so you've not been praying the Lord's Prayer, but you've not been living the Lord's Prayer. Whether that comes to temptation or whether that comes to your physical needs, it's all about the Father. So the Father loves us and he sends his only begotten Son. And Jesus lives a perfect, sinless life. Faces temptation, but never sins. And Jesus dies. He dies the death that we deserve to die on the cross where God the Father punished his only begotten son for sin. Jesus is buried. Jesus rises from the dead. That's the good news. How we respond to the good news is we repent of our sins and we believe in the gospel. 
Repenting is turning from sin and turning to Jesus as Lord. That's what Romans 10, 9 is. Confessing with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believing in our heart, God raised him from the dead. Then we're saved. So we confess that Jesus is Lord. No longer is sin Lord. No longer is greed Lord. No longer is this temptation that destroyed me over and over again Lord. But Jesus is my Lord. And now my Lord can empower me to defeat temptation. I can depend on my Lord and Savior. I can depend on my Heavenly Father to provide my needs every day. I don't have to wake up or go to bed anxious about those things because my Father knows I need them even before I ask. But maybe you're here and God is not your Heavenly Father. You've never come to Jesus Maybe you're sitting here and you know Jesus, like in your head, like Jesus is a historical figure. Jesus is something you hear about in a church setting. Jesus, that, that's who Jesus is. But when you leave here, Jesus is kind of someone you, you leave back here. Rather than today, Lord, what do you have for me? I'm depending on you, Lord. I'm trusting you. You're the one that's leading me because it is not about my name or my kingdom or my will. Lord, it's about your name, your kingdom, your will. And what's wonderful is that includes my needs. That includes the forgiveness of my sin. That includes directing my life. Maybe you've never responded to the gospel. Maybe today is that day. Maybe you walked in the door thinking you were a follower of Jesus. Maybe you walked in the door thinking you were saved. Maybe your wife or your husband or your mom or your dad or your kids think you're a believer, but the truth is you're not a follower of Jesus and you feel the Holy Spirit of God tugging in your heart right now. Like shining a light into your heart and you're like, whoa, Maybe right now you're encountering the power of God. You, you feel this, the Holy Spirit of God tugging in your heart. And you're like, what is this? The Bible says if you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. And you may not understand all that that means. But right now with your eyes open, you can close your eyes, you can stand up, you can sit down, you can kneel. The, the, the external posture of your body doesn't matter. But with your mouth, you can say, Jesus, I confess you as Lord. I, I turn from sin and I turn to you. I repent of my sins and I believe you did die and you rose from the dead. And the Bible says if you'll do that, you'll be saved. The gospel is good news. My prayer, my hope is that you'll respond to it. Let's pray together.